0: You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bringing in, it's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Today, I am joined by my buddy, Ricky Nix. Ricky and I went to high school together. He and I both uh, took an advanced TV broadcasting class together when we were in high school. He has dove heavily into the film industry. He's done some work in the wrestling industry as well. So he's kind of like me in a sense of a man of many hats. Kind of touches a little bit of everything when it comes to media. Got a really great blog if you... If you're into movies, uh, you'll want to check that out, defiantgiant.com, and they, uh, basically what he does is he'll go on there, review movies from time to time, and uh, just kind of post his thoughts on what's, uh, what's happening a lot in the movie industry, but Ricky, I appreciate you coming on, man, and as always, it's uh, always fun to talk with you, dude.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, have no fear, the Defiant Giant is finally here. Mike, thank you for having me on. Um, uh, this is the first time uh, I've been a guest, so uh, thanks for having me, and I'm excited to uh, chat with you a little bit.
0: Hell yeah, man. Um, so just to start this off, the first thing I want to talk about with you, man, and I saw on Facebook, uh, Ricky has recently been asked to judge a film festival, and it's you know something that you and I have had. Experience with you know I referenced uh advanced t v broadcasting class that we both took uh through Destrahan high School, and one of the big events that they put on is the the film festival every year, so from a very early age, you got to kind of experience that side of it and then the other thing that before we dive into it, I want to say about Ricky here is in terms of passion dedication to his craft stuff like that. Uh, dude he is second to none even in high school you know we were we were in this class together and while me and everyone else basically was goofing off making office type movies or tv shows or series whatever it is here he is trying new things with programs like avid and just trying to polish that craft so you know for when i saw that you were going to be judging this film festival. I was pretty pumped for you just because I know how how dedicated and how hard you've been working from the time we met when we were, you know, 16, 17 years old. So, um, congrats on that. But tell us a little bit about this film festival, dude.
1: Okay, yeah, no worries. Uh, before I get there, though, let me just say about the time at the Satellite Center, um, it, um I think it was just a matter of uh, opportunities presented to all of us students. You know, we were all there using the same equipment, having the same software and, you know, people were, um, I'm thankful that they gave us free reign to do a, you know, a lot of what we felt like we wanted to do outside of the classroom curriculum, you know? So with regard to like these other projects that everyone else was doing, I don't think there was any right or wrong answer. You know, Um, I was using that, space and that equipment to do, I guess, branch out more professionally because looking back on it, um, I don't know how well you remember it, but I was like one of the few kids in our graduating class who like had actual business cards at the age of 17 and giving them out to people, you know, and um, working, you know, getting paid gigs, doing editing work. And I'd take that to the satellite center and, you know, our instructors, uh, you know, Mr. DuPont and whoever else, they would help me out with that. And I would, I was getting paid, you know, using those, uh, those resources that I had available to me. Um, so the only thing, um, I can say before I branch off from that is like, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, but I think. I mean, still, there's no right or wrong answer because even though, like, a lot of the people that we went to school with, like, are either branched out to do other, you know, pursue other stuff, um, I think, like, I don't know how many of us that went there actually are doing film work, like, hardcore
0: Well, I guess the easiest way to define it, uh, just to kind of help you out a little bit, is at 17, I feel like you had your head on your shoulders. You were thinking long-term. You were thinking long game. Whereas people like me didn't necessarily take the full advantage like we should have. And it's something that you mentioned, Mr. DuPont. I mean, obviously, uh, you and I are still very close to him and good friends with him. You know, the three of us went out to dinner when you came in town. Uh, two 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 years ago, whatever that was. But um, we're still very close to him. But the thing he always preached and kind of beat in our head, and it's true, you know, looking back on this 10 years later, is, you know, take advantage of what you got. Otherwise, you're going to regret it. I don't know that I necessarily would say I regret it, but there are definitely opportunities left on the table. And as far as anyone that was in our class, I think – of all of them, I think most would point to you and say you took as much advantage of those opportunities as you could. And I think yeah. that's what's kind of led you to where you are now. Right.
1: And you, and you also brought up the, uh, the film festival um, at the, set, the satellite center. Um, to the best of my knowledge, last I've heard, and this, is, this has been a few years now, I think that it's on hiatus. They don't really do it anymore. Yeah. Unless you've heard differently. But uh, I attended one. Um, as a, you know, as a graduate or whatever, um, it must've been maybe 2014, 2015, it was several years back and they, uh, you know, some of the folks there, they said, oh yeah, it's going to be the last one, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't remember what the reasons were, maybe it was like budget or, um, interest in the whole thing. I'm not really sure, but that, that kind of bummed me out to know that. Um, I don't think I served as a, I don't think I actually judge students' projects, but I remember participating in it and myself, you know, I'm senior year and having, you know, industry professionals or whoever, you know, look at what I submitted and, you know, give me feedback. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but they gave us a paper printout with like the judges thoughts or whatever. And I still have that to this day somewhere. If it's not here in LA with me, it's at my old place back in Destrehan. That's awesome. I I, I held onto that stuff. dude. And And it's nice to just look back on and, you know, see what I was trying to do and see what people made of it. And, um, just uh, to uh, sort of segue into the whole festival and critiquing thing, this all started last year when I was doing the uh, the reviews on Facebook, as you kept up with, because I know you kept up with it a lot.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, last uh, fe- February of last year, when I was still living in Florida, I just started doing this thing called the New Movie Binge, where I watched movies I uh, had never seen before, and I started writing reviews on on Facebook. I, I had it set to Facebook. Um, when you post, typically you make a post on Facebook. It, there's when, you get, when it gets to a certain length, it's, it kind of cuts off when you post it. And there's like a see more tab. So you can see the rest of whatever posted. Um, I made it a point to keep it short enough to when you got to that see more part, portion length, I cut it off. So I try to keep it, you know, just right there, nothing to click right there. You know nothing to pursue to finish reading, because I know some people don't like to read long things, myself included. So when I first started doing the reviews, um, I just kept them real short and sweet and to the point. And as I did more of them, they kind of I kind of became a better writer, and um, just they got longer naturally without without thought, just because I was becoming a better writer. So um, they stayed on Facebook, and then it got to the point where okay, I should put these on my website, which I already had. And um, just I, I made a separate section on my website, and so I wrote them on the website, um, still trying to keep the length in mind. And um, but once I posted them on the website, I just shared the link, and that drew traffic to my website. And uh, over the course of several months, I ended up doing that for over 130 films. And then once I moved out here to L.A. in May of last year, um, you know, I reached out to some best to some festival judges and told them, uh, everything I just told you basically. And that's how they brought me on. So last year there was uh, November, I think there was the, um, LA live uh, film fest at the regal theaters here in downtown, right next to the Staples center. Actually they have their yearly festival, um, and the uh, festival director, Edward Bukowski, another military veteran, cause I'm very tied into that community. He brought me on. So that was actually my first job as a judge and um that was confirmed in july of last year but the festival wasn't until november and so last year um, i ended up doing one festival this year so far i'm doing three i'm returning to that festival again for the 2020 year um there's a new festival uh, debuting uh put on by another gentleman named Devin powers it's gonna be um the black film festival los angeles i think it's what it's called and um the one that you alluded to earlier that i got brought on to monday is what's known as the financial literacy film festival and what that is is a uh, it's a film festival where all the kilns all all the films involved serve an educational purpose on uh financial management and you know how to manage your money uh things such as you know like retirement and, and insurance and annuities and. It, um, you know things of that nature it sounds like it can be boring but if you present it you know and use it in a right way it, it could it be uh, something really cool so I'm really happy to be a part of that uh, that's happening in Fresno California uh, April uh, in April um, the guy that uh, is putting it together his name is George O'Han he's a good friend of mine that I made here in Los Angeles and um, it's an interesting festival because there's only going to be like 7 to 10 films especially since it's the first year And uh, George has a part in producing all the movies involved. So not only is it his festival, but he's producing all the movies, uh, you know, to a degree that's in his festival. So it's uh, pretty cool. So uh, they brought me on as a judge. Um, Most of the filmmakers involved are on a student or amateur level. So, you know, it's not like, um, you know, big budget or Oscar worthy stuff, but still, there's still a purpose so um keeping that in mind i'll uh, be sure to uh bear that in mind when it comes time to uh, actually check out some of these movies um and the thing that i'm grateful for most of all with this whole thing between the film critics the whole the whole film critic review thing and the festival judge thing they kind of go hand in hand um the thing i'm thankful for is that we all know that everybody has opinions on everybody uh, on, on everything, whether it's movies, music, whatever, um, content consuming, everybody's got opinions on stuff and nobody's opinion is right or wrong. Nobody's, uh, has more value than others per se, but it's good to know that people, uh, you know, took to my reviews cause it took off on social media and pe- when people read them, they think that they're really spot on. People like what I have to say. Um, The L.A. Live Film Fest that I did uh, last year, the first one I was brought on to, when it came uh, time to actually, uh, you know, Festival Day to give out awards and whatnot, um, at that point I had been watching movies since July that's when they started coming in all these submissions or you know over the course of months and i was watching them and giving feedback the, the day of the festival the director pulls me uh, aside and we're having a, a chat and he's like yeah man i read some of your feedback on some of many films involved and your stuff is spot on you know and even le- as recently as last week or the week before someone read an older older review of mine that was up on my site for a movie that he'd just recently seen and uh Once again, he thought my analysis was spot on. So um, that's uh, that's a really comforting thing to hear um, people say. And uh, I think the reason that they are as accurate as they tend to be is because I study all aspects of filmmaking. I've been working in the industry for quite a while now, and there's very few positions on a set that I haven't um, had the pleasure of working. You know, I think the only I've done everything from like sound, ading. ing art department stuff the only thing I haven't really done is like wardrobe and hair and makeup but everything else i on a film set I've done and I did it for the purpose of making me um, a better filmmaker all around better storyteller so,
0: well when uh, it comes to critiquing and reviewing movies too just to kind of dive into this a little bit because you and I have had many conversations about movies and you know there's been times where obviously we disagree because you do see the technical side a little bit better than i do and you know even some of the reviews i'm reading them and i'm just like damn it man like i wanted this to be a ricky nicks film and it's not like the one that i kind of revert back to is the town um with with ben affleck uh jeremy renner uh especially with renner because he is one of my I am not going to say favorite actors, but there are very few movies that I dislike with him in it. Um I think he's had some very good movies. One of the uh series that got a little bit of a reboot with him was the the Bourne series uh where he right. played Jason Bourne. I was a big fan of that. It was cool to see Jason Bourne back on screen. It didn't take off though. It didn't take No, and it just didn't take no. off, but um you know, when I started reading the reviews, I, I I specifically remember reading The Town and just being like, ah shit. <laughs> but one of the things going back to what I said is you can look at these movies from a technical aspect better than I can. Um you know, I have a very don't I'll call it a dumbed down opinion. Someone asked me the other day. Uh, what do I consider myself an expert in the things I talk about on my blog? And I said, well, that really depends. I don't like to define myself as an expert of really anything. There are certain things I have a better pulse and heartbeat for, uh, you know, certain industries like sports, uh, more specifically NFL, NBA. Uh, I have a much better pulse on that than I do as far as the college game. I have a pretty good pulse politically. um, But when it comes to like movies, music, I can't sit here and break down the technical aspects of either of those things. I just look at what I'm viewing, and if it's appealing, which it's very easy to appeal to me, especially in movies, then cool, I'm in, I like it. But um, you know, when you get into the technical side of movies, I guess for you, the biggest difference I think you and I is if you're watching a movie, you can probably look at a camera angle and pick up on it right away and think, okay, here's the psychology behind that. And those are kind of some of the things where um, I guess film critics and people who have a strong pulse on that industry can allude to and kind of talk about Whereas someone like me who maybe isn't necessarily an expert and more of a novice on the industry, those are the certain like intricate details that people like you I feel like can dive into. And, you know, whenever you go into these uh, film festivals and judge, I mean, how you know, talk a little bit about – Some of the things that you look for from storytelling and technical aspects.
1: Um, I don't really look for anything from a technical aspect. I think if it presents itself there, then I'm gonna see it. You know what I mean? But uh, from a storytelling aspect, I'm a stickler for pacing. Um, just pacing and general plot. I'd say uh, some of my favorite movies ever. Um, I've only I've only seen once. You know. But I was so swept up in the story and um, how it made me feel emotionally. Um, you know, you know, classic stuff that you've probably never heard of because you're not as tapped into, I guess, film history. Would you say? Would you say? it's yeah, exactly? abso-
0: absolutely, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Like if I throw out La Dolce Vita, ever heard of it? No. <laughs> my third, it's my third favorite movie. French film, uh, uh, no Italian film. Uh, from the 60s. Second favorite movie, Black Orpheus. Ever heard of it? Nope. All right. Seen another 60s film, or actually 50s, uh, out of Brazil. Um, I've seen that one more than I've seen with Dolce Vita, and uh, I was it was the plot for me that did it. Um, to go back to what you said, I think about the town, uh, you brought up the whole aspect of my reviews, um, you know, whether or not it's a Ricky Nicks film. Um, So for anyone that goes to my site um, and seen a a review of mine, it starts off with the the title, obviously, and then typically I'll start off with a quote from the movie that I feel really encapsulates it perfectly, and then uh, I just go into my thoughts um, for as long as I can, and then I kind of um, close things out um, with some final thoughts, um, mostly being whether or not it is a ricky nicks film and what that means is um is that a film that i as a director or as a a filmmaker would be proud to say that i made like is is it or is it something that i would make you know um like i'm looking at one right now a quiet place i went back and said this is a movie that i would make it's that good um And that's the kind of stories that I want to tell. I'm looking at another one, Die Hard 2. I don't even have to click it. I know it's not a Ricky Nicks movie. (laughs) (laughs) The first one, yes. second one, not so much.
0: Well, and that's what I love. I think that's what, I guess, encapsulated me to go to your blog and go read these reviews too, is because there was that model of consistency at the end. This is or this isn't a Ricky Nicks film. Right. And – whenever I'd see, especially when I saw a title that I know I loved, um, you know, of course, I'd click on it and, you know, there came the moment of truth, whether it is or isn't, and every time I saw there is, I'm like, yes, awesome, and then every time I saw there isn't, I'm like, ah, damn it, a little part of me just died, so, um, and and that's not a shot at you, of course, but, you know, it's just one of those things that kept me coming back to click on it, because I'm like, you know, I, I do value your your opinion for movies because right. you know, I've seen what you can do from a talent standpoint and you have a very good pulse on yeah. the industry. So of course, when I see those titles, I'm like, all right, let's see.
1: Um, so right. Even right now, I'm looking at one for the born identity. Um, I gave it three out of five stars. And in conclusion, at the, what I, the, the very last sentence is it's a Ricky Nicks type of film comma while not being an actual ricky Mix film itself yeah and that was like a rare um uh, thought point on that like it's the type of movie that i would make but there were just some things about it that were like just off enough for me to not make it an actual ricky Mix film and i want to i just want to say whether or not it is or not a ricky Mix film that's not whether or not it's a good or bad movie because a movie can be great Um, you know, but it's not what what I personally have made it, probably not.
0: Well, right, and you see this with directors. Just because they won't put their name on it doesn't mean it's not a good movie. I mean, there's certain films that Martin Scorsese would never touch. There's certain films that Quentin Tarantino would never touch because those guys have specific storytelling and filmmaking that they like to convey on the screen so so yeah to 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 establish that point and kind of playing off what he's saying for those listening is just because it's not like you said it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie it's just not something you would put your name to per se
1: yeah it's it's not in my wheelhouse like i'm looking at another one um dirty dancing i trust you're familiar with that one absolutely i I like like i wouldn't like i don't know his thoughts on it well, let's say, for example, Martin Square Scorsese. He, he loves this movie. Would he make? Would he have made this movie? <laughs> Hell <Yeah>. no. <laughs> and if he did, it'd be a much different film. Yeah. But, but uh, so that's
0: his, so
1: that's what I, that's what I'm getting at, basically.
0: Well, let's let's dive into some just uh, to some fun parts of uh, the film industry here. So okay. I don't I don't know if you read it. I know you. You know, you and I kind of talk back and forth sparingly. Um, we'll send each other, you know, links to uh the blog to whatever we're doing but i recently did a uh you know this giant movie survey basically where i kind of talked about my favorites uh, my favorite decade of movies my favorite western my favorite i, I basically did a full I think favorite I list um I missed, I think I that. is it under hotel Huddle? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um I think I missed that it should lot. be if you go on the home page of it uh it should still be one of the first 10 in the in the main scroll box at the top, but um well, one of the more interesting debates I was having with a couple of people back and forth via text, and again, this could be totally different for you, which is why I'm trying to get your pulse on it, but, um, you know, my two favorite decades as far as movies go, being that if I look at this decade across the board, I can pick movies from basically every year that I loved. I can pick multiple movies that I loved each year. but And it also has to do with the fact that I grew up watching those movies. But the 80s and 90s for me are far and away my two favorite decades for movies because of that aspect and because of the actors who were involved in those decades.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I don't know what they are, but I'm, I'm, I'm already willing to bet one of them is
0: the 90s. So, well, yeah, and it's it's a toss-up between 80s and 90s for me. Now, that being said, there. are I think nineties movies, I think they blew the dramas out of the water. You know, you had Forrest Gump, Goodwill Hunting, all these movies that are mainstays in the film industry that a lot of people revert back to. But that being said, I look at the eighties and I think the eighties kind of blows the nineties out of the water because if you go back year by year, um from nineteen eighty 1980 to nineteen eighty-nine there were multiple hits each year. That resonated with me, where I'm like, yes, I love that movie. Whereas the '90s, you know, '93 and '94 were both big years, and then I think it was '95, '96. There was a kind of a gap there, like there. Not to say there were bad movies, because there were still great movies produced, but there wasn't that eye popping title like Lion King, like Forrest Gump, stuff like that. Whereas the '80s, for me, kind of had across the board one big title or two big titles each year where I'm like yes love that fucking movie
1: okay um yeah I think it's kind of hard to quantify how would how you would um, define each genre uh, um, each decade of cinemas that go along um but you're right definitely 94 I know was a huge year for movies my favorite movie ever came out in 94 um Leon the Professional I think you've seen that one right What's that? Leon the Professional.
0: I haven't actually.
1: Oh, god! Damn. All right, <laughs> you uh, you need to uh look into that, man. That's my favorite. Movie. That's my number one movie ever. That okay. The, uh, it was Natalie Corbin's
0: first movie. She's like twelve years old. Okay. Only wow. One. Okay. She's got Gary
1: Oldman and a and a few other people. Um, but ninety uh, four uh, Leon came out. Pulp Fiction
0: came out. Forrest Gump came out. Lion King. You know, I can stop right there. You know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I guess with uh, you know, with those '90s movies, or you know, like I said, I mentioned Forrest Gump. Uh, Goodwill Hunting was another big one that came out in the '90s for me that I loved. Um, Wait, what's that?
1: Ninety-seven. I thought. Yeah. Mistaken.
0: Yeah. Um, But when you look at at some of the actors in the 90s, uh, you know, Tom Hanks was obviously breaking in pretty heavily to the film industry. Um, Robin Williams had a lot of great movies come out in the 90s. And Robin Williams is, you know, top five actors for me. Um, You know, one of the things I think that drew me to Robin Williams uh, is the monologues that his movies have. Each and every single movie I can think of that I love from Robin Williams, there's one great monologue in it. Um, even Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, the very end um, when he's talking about his kids and he basically says, if you take away my kids, that's like taking away air. That means I can't breathe. Um you know, he had that monologue. He has the monologue in Patch Adams talking about indifference. Um, Goodwill Hunting, when he's telling Will, you know, he's smart, but he has no life experience. Therefore, he's an emotionless pile of mess, basically, and rips his life apart after Will tried to do the same to him. Um, even in Jack, when he's uh, basically dealing with a condition that's, Reverse of what Benjamin Button is um, He's aging rapidly And at his high school graduation He he talks about 17 years of life And living it to the fullest Because well that is a full life for him You know all these movies Have just these spot on monologues That just kind of punch you in the gut And I and that's That's really what draws me To a guy like Robin Williams Okay yeah that's fair I think he made, uh, for
1: any, for a lot of us in our age bracket or whatever, he was definitely, um, you know, our a, a guy that made our childhood what it was. Um, uh, so do you, do you have so did did you, What was your favorite movie of his?
0: My favorite Robin Williams movie uh, is Good Will Hunting, and ironically enough, he's not even the the number one actor in it.
1: Yeah. I'd have to think on that one for me, man. Uh, you know what? I think it's it might be Jumanji, actually. I know that's not like he, he doesn't give his best performance in you know ever. Now, he's great in it, obviously, but I don't think it's like his greatest performance ever. But uh, I just love that movie. I love everything about it. I yeah. It.
0: Well, and that's the other thing is the range of his acting ability. He can go play... Someone like Genie and Aladdin, or go play a character like Alan Parrish, this this very out there kind of k- kooky um, yeah. person in Jamaji. Another really great movie of Robin Williams is a little bit older, but have you seen Awakenings? No, I've not. So he's basically uh, in a nut house, essentially, um, and. Uh, Basically, the patients have what's called awakenings, and it's moments of clarity. One of his primary patients in the movie is Robert De Niro, um, so it's it's my my mom actually showed it to me probably probably ten nine ten years ago. I was still in college, and she had asked me, "Have you ever seen this?" I was like, "No." I was home one weekend. She was like, "All right, cool. Let's watch it." So we did. It's the only time I've ever seen it, but kind of like you were saying, with there's movies you see once and that's all it takes. Sometimes that's one of those movies that it took once for me to see it, love it, and you know it to impact me in a certain way. So, um, but I, I would advise checking that one out. I think you would actually like that one a lot. It's very good, and of course, when you're talking Robin Williams and Robert De Niro, it's kind of hard to go wrong.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, have you seen Have you seen One Hour Photo?
0: I haven't, but I, I've heard of the movie, and uh, I've have he- heard more than one person tell me that it's fantastic.
1: Okay, so earlier we were talking about the reviews and my eye for you know whatever technical aspects and whatnot. Um, it's it is one of only two movies um, that I've seen, um, not just on in the movie binge, but in general that I consider perfect. Like an actual perfect movie. Yeah. Uh, One-hour photo with Robin Williams. I think uh, that's one you. It's definitely worth uh, you checking out.
0: Okay. Uh, so it, now that you're talking about it, is that the one where he is basically? Isn't he like a crazy person and he's stalking someone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Yeah, I've Watch. heard I've heard really great things about that, and I've read great things about that. I think I came across uh, a blog right after he passed away, um, mm. basically talking about some of his more lesser known and great films. And I think that was the number one movie on that list, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely check that one out. I'm going through your um your your ultimate movie survey. You got it all bracketed out and what? Yeah. I I, I need to do something similar, so.
0: Well, dude, and that's the thing, like with my blog, I guess, and, well, you know, I basically will do things like that when I don't have ideas. You know, you kind of talked about earlier in your blog how you keep things short, sweet, and to the point, and that's a format that a lot of successful blogs, in fact, I would argue most successful blogs follow, and you talk about how, you know, you, you noticed your posts getting longer, um, in your blog as you did it more and I guess because I've been writing for You know on and off now for probably the last seven eight years um, Consistently You know It's harder for me to try to condense my thoughts in a 400 words, you know most of my post It's crazy, you know, I'll, I'll start writing. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool I'm at 800 words and I kind of hit that 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 writer's block point and then I start going again and then next thing I know I'm at, I'm up to 2,500 and it's just like, oh, okay. I guess that's kind of just what happens um, because most of my posts are quite the opposite. A lot of them, they're going to be 2,000 words and I think that's that can turn some people away but I mean at the end of the day I like to be thorough. But going back to what I was saying about these surveys and stuff like that, a lot of times if I am just completely dead in the water and with writer's block, I'll just do surveys like that just to get those creative juices flowing again. Plus, I mean, dude, it's a lot of fun. You know, one of the things I always talk about, you and I grew up with, uh, good old MySpace, and you'd see in the bulletins those surveys. I used to always do those. So just yeah. being able to answer questions about yourself and kind of your thoughts on certain topics, it's just fun. Um, man,
1: there was something I, I think I wanted to say, but you were talking, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I tend but, to do that. <laughs> um, I, so we're like at
1: the 40-minute mark almost now, and we haven't even... Did- Gotten into the wrestling world yet. So I know it's your show, but might I suggest we uh, take a switch over from one world to another?
0: I am I am down for that. So, uh, kind of segueing this um, from movies to wrestling, you actually acted in a movie about wrestling uh, called yeah. Over. It was a very short film. It was, I think that the, the yeah. total runtime was 20 minutes, maybe. Um, yeah, a little. And I remember you telling me about that. So tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about the movie. Over how that kind of got your involvement, so to speak. And then we can transition from the movies to wrestling in that aspect because I think it's really cool that you kind of crossed those those two interests there.
1: That is a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, I was still living in Florida, in Orlando at the time, and. Um, I'm a night owl, so I was up at, like, really early in the morning, at, like, four in the morning. I hadn't gone to bed yet. And I see this, I think I was part of a group or something, but I see a post on Facebook talking about, oh, hey, um, I'm working on this movie. We're looking for, um, you know, this type of actor, you know, any race, uh, any size, just to play a student in a wrestling school, um, to act in this movie. Uh, big plus if you have uh, in-ring experience. At that point, I actually did already have in-ring experience because I don't know if we talked about this, but I actually was in wrestling school in Florida for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I t- did know that. You didn't? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was in wrestling school for a little bit um, training. Um, the only reason I stopped was cause I just couldn't afford it anymore. But, um, this was about, uh, the following year or so, um, I see this post and I, 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 I send the email immediately. Um, you know, be, being like, Oh, Hey, I saw your post. I'm interested. Let's get together. Um, went to the casting session. It was on a Sunday. Um, and, uh, yeah, I ended up get, I ended up just Booking the part, it was like a short film about a kid's first day in professional wrestling school, and I play um, a student in one of the school, uh, a, a, one of the students in the school named Ray, um, for the audition process, which you can actually see the video on YouTube. Um, I have it posted up there. Um, I, I, I didn't really have too much to go on, um, so I came up with like a whole backstory name and all this other stuff, just in case they asked for it. And the guy that was sitting in on the, um, the casting process was the director in his first A.V. And, um, yeah, I ended up in the part after a couple reads. And um, I think this was May. And we ended up shooting at the end of July in Orlando at an actual wrestling school um, called the Teen Vision Dojo in uh, in Florida. It was, ran, it was run by uh, Larry Zabisco.
0: Oh, wrestling... nice.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Larry Zabisco. It was his school okay shot there for uh, about to, uh they, they shot for three days but i was only on set for two uh shooting my scenes and then just helping out the next day um and it, it went pretty well um we had we had a premiere the following year and then uh, it was on amazon prime uh where you can still find it and it was pretty good um we had a, uh, uh, it was cool because they brought in actual professional wrestlers for their lead parts. Uh, my part was not a lead, it was more of a third part, you know, after the other two guys, which is fine. Um, uh, one wrestler, his name was uh, Ariel Dominguez. You can actually Google him. He, uh, last I checked, is wrestling for uh, Major League Wrestling, which is a promotion based out of Florida. And then the other gentleman, his name was uh, Neil Krause, who's um, Veteran wrestler, you know, pushing forward he He's been doing it for like a, a while now. Uh, veteran sort of wrestler. So those two guys had lead, and um, yeah. Uh, so so that's the that's that's the basic gist of that. I don't know if and one of
0: the cool parts in this movie because I remember texting you about it. So yeah. I, I guess kind of your big moment in the movie was getting berated by the head trainer. Uh, in the film basically being called fat slow, whatever the case may be just completely tearing you apart um, yeah. and I just remember watching that and I'm just like, oh shit that's raw but um, yeah. it was it, it was solid man. I mean uh, it's only 20 minutes um, so and ironically enough, I was on Amazon looking for a movie the other day. And it asked me, hey, do you want to watch this again? And over popped up. I was like, oh, look at that shit. So it was yeah. pretty funny. But, um,
1: uh, that scene you mentioned, though, it's, it's funny because the director, he was also the writer. He also uh, was in wrestling school, too. He trained under the Dudleys. Oh, nice. And, uh, the Team 3D Academy. I think that's what it's called. Um, in another part of Florida, New Orlando. But, yeah, he trained at the Dudley School. And um, that whole thing... Um, the whole story, but especially that scene you're referring to, where I get my ass chewed up by the head instructor, that's based on actual events. I don't remember if that actually happened to him personally, or he saw it happen to somebody else, but that comes from a place of realism. The the head trainer guy was based on a real person.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah. Which, speaking of wrestling, so one of the things that you and I uh, talked about recently, which I'll dive into. Uh, in a second and that was the jericho cruise that you went on we can talk about that but before that one of the cool parts i think about you and your kind of attachment to the wrestling industry is of course going back to full sail where you were a student at full sail university for a while and for those who are fans of wrestling for those who may not be that is home to NXT, which is Triple H's brainchild of w- WWE. It's WWE's developmental territory. Uh, it's now competing against AEW on Wednesday nights um, and for viewership, essentially. But NXT, for a lot of people, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think you're one of them and i have other friends who are like this they watch nxt more so than they do the main roster in terms of Raw and smackdown um but because you were at full sale you know i remember seeing all the posts of you going to these shows meeting guys like Sami Zayn, um enzo amore and uh you know all these nxt superstars before making their way up to the main roster which of course, I'm salivating over back in Louisiana, like, dude, I'm jealous. So, um, I think it's really cool that you got to experience, you know, wrestling at Full sale with NXT, and what is, you know, arguably the better product of WWE.
1: Yeah, so, um, I started at Full Sail in 2014, fall of 2014, and from about, uh, fall of 2014 to about uh February 2016, when I finished that full sale, I was, and even after that, actually, when I finished full sale, I was a mainstay of that NXT crowd. I was one of the guys sitting hard cam in that part of the rowdy section that's like always, you know, on camera. That, you know, if you're watching the ring, they're that little chunk that starts all the chants and whatnot. So I'm not, I know a lot of those guys in there. And, um, you know, I know uh, a lot of those guys are still, still probably going regulars to the shows. But uh, there's enough shows where you can see me. Um, you know, in the crowd, I was part of that. And um, let me see. When I started going there, I, I'm pretty sure the the NXT champion at the time was uh, Adrian Neville. Dude, that's uh,
0: insane. Now, that's going far um, back.
1: That's, yeah. Now Pac on uh, AEW. Um, so he was the champion when I first started attending the shows. And um, so I was there to witness uh, Neville as champion that Sami Zayn won that Kevin Owens, and I think um, I'm trying to remember who was champion. Uh, by the time I left uh, Florida last year, I, I think it was I think it was Champa.
0: Wow, like, uh, it
1: was one of those guys.
0: Well, so what's September, what's wild about it so when neville was nxt champion i mean that's really when nxt kind of took the mainstream so to some degree i mean it's still i wouldn't call it full mainstream because it is still the developmental developmental territory but that's when nxt really started catching airwaves for a lot of wrestling fans and of course it's now devolved into something much bigger than what it was um so I think it's yeah, cool you got there. to see all these all these stars who are now on the main roster, especially from the women's division, because you got to see the four horse women of NXT yeah. while they were in NXT. So that's dope. Yeah, I, I was there when Becky Lynch was still kind of an
1: afterthought in NXT. It was all about Charlotte and Sasha and even Bailey. Um, I was there when NXT wasn't even going on the road. Like all the NXT, I'm sorry, takeovers. Um, I was there you know when takeovers were still happening in house in in orlando before they got so big that they started going all over the country now um and i you know yeah i met big cass and enzo and i met a lot of people uh one of my favorites was uh baron corbin yeah Um, this was before he started talking this is when he didn't talk at all and he had his long hair and he had the biker sort of gimmick much different from you know where he is now in SmackDown, so I'm happy to say that a lot of the ros- a lot of the talent that makes up the main roster, I saw them when they were getting uh, you know their feet wet at NXT. I was there at I remember Braun Strowman's debut in NXT before he joined the Wyatt family. He was there for like one week in a dark match which didn't even air. Uh, it was a squash match. He killed some guy in two seconds, and then that was it. Next thing you know, he's on the main roster as the fourth member of the Wyatt family. So he was there and out in a flash. Well, I it's also- cool.
0: It's cool when you get to see the uh, these guys in dark matches because one of the ones that I specifically remember that I saw years and years and years ago um, was John Cena when he was still the prototype. I, sure. I went to, uh, I think it was a SmackDown and he wrestled in a dark match. I couldn't even tell you who he wrestled. And then, um, sometime later, he gets the call up, and the ruthless aggression era sort of begins. And what's I, I started watching the ruthless aggression um, documentary the other day, and you know, one of them was centered around John Cena and kind of the the trials and tribulations he went through. Um, so whenever I was going through that, you know, of course they talk about the prototype. And I just remember seeing him for that first time and seeing where he is now. I mean, obviously, he's in a completely different stratosphere and arguably the most impactful wrestler of all time.
1: Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it was – speaking of something like that, um, one of the guys that I remember watching and keeping an eye on was um, Chad Gable. Ooh, yes, yes. Because when, when I first started, when I started going to NXT, Chad Gable was there just as an enhancement guy. He was j- jobbing in dark matches and whatnot. And then to see him transition from that to years later, you know, winning tag team gold with Jason Jordan. Dude,
0: American you know, Alpha was great.
1: That was one of the greatest tag teams I ever had the pleasure of uh, watching, you know, develop in front of my eyes, you know. Because I remember there was like this whole angle where Jason Jordan was looking for a tag team partner. He went through like Ty Dillinger and a few other people before he um, linked up with Chad Gable. And then, yeah, they went on to tear. So
0: Now, um, before uh, before we get into AEW and you getting to experience the Jericho Cruise and stuff, uh, real quick to kind of wrap up NXT, I, I guess who if you could narrow it down, and I'm putting you on the spot here, who were three people that you were just – incredibly happy you got to see sort of develop and that can be a tag team it can be a singles it can be male it can be female whatever it is just three three performers you're pumped you got to watch just kind of blossom
1: um let me see i'm trying i'm trying to think of like all the people that uh you know um probably nakamura nice that that was cool um you know, they did the whole takeover Dallas debut, and at the time, I was a bit from, familiar with him from his time in New Japan, so that was pretty cool. Um, probably, I'm either as far as like women go, I'm in, in between Becky, Becky Lynch, and Bailey, because. You know, I can't really say Sasha because you you know she would always be a star. I'd probably have to go with uh, Bailey, honestly. I was never her biggest fan, but to see where she came from on NXT and just her meteoric rise, um, that match that she had with Sasha at Takeover, yeah. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, first it was Takeover Brooklyn, one or two. That was pretty great,
0: dude. And, um, Bailey, Bailey had one of my favorite call ups too. Um, I think it was oh was it battleground i can't remember the pay-per-view it was but she teamed up with sasha that was her first time uh getting on the main roster so they saved her for a pay-per-view which was pretty cool um but i actually went back and watched that uh pop that she got the other day it was massive um so she had by far one of my favorite call-ups i think
1: um and another person for me is um Man, it's it's tough to narrow it down just the three because I feel like I'm overlooking somebody. <laughs> I wish that I worked beforehand so I could research it. But for the third person, I'm probably going to have to go with Andrade.
0: Nice. Because uh, when
1: he debuted, it was just like, when I remember when he debuted NXT, I liked him immediately, but I, you could kind of get the feeling like, oh, this guy's not really going to go anywhere. They're not going to do too much with him. He's just kind of here. And then next thing you know, he's getting this huge push, and he's NXT champion, and then he's on the main roster. And He's the guy that I've always liked. Um, him and uh, Aleister Black.
0: Yeah, dude, I love Aleister Black. The Black Mass, by far one of my favorite finishing moves because I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for striking finishers. I've yeah. I've, I've always just liked the idea of just – You know, kicking someone in the head, something impactful, something loud. Obviously, Sweet Chin Music's the first striking finisher most people think of. The Spears, another one. But I'm just a sucker for the strikes.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, because I remember when uh, it came time for him to get called up. And it was like his last night at NXT. And everybody was like, please don't go. Please don't. (laughs) You know, it was just an emotional moment. So. Um, I'm sure there's like some other people I'm just overlooking. Um, but I'm happy to be uh to say that I was there for those years of NXT. Dude,
0: you I, got like, you got the brunt of it, man. You got the bulk of almost all the people who are stars on the main roster now. That's freaking amazing.
1: Yeah. And even my my girl, she attended those shows before I did, so she was there when Seth Rollins became first champ, and
0: she oh, was there that's for dope
1: that, the infancy of NXT. Yeah. And I feel like I caught I came around at a much better time and a more interesting time it was yeah.
0: just take off. Right. Like I said, it kinda it was sort of the birth of it becoming in more mainstream. But um shifting gears here. An, a conversation you and I had recently. Uh we were talking back and forth about Chris Jericho because you got to attend the AEW event on the Jericho cruise. And I was actually talking about that last night. Uh, I sent it in my little family group. Um, Even though they're not wrestling fans, I was like, yeah, you may be good, but you're not Chris Jericho on your own cruise with your theme song playing, with a crowd singing said theme song sung by you. Good. You're not that good. I was proud, by the way. I'm happy to say. Dude. I'm I'm so jealous you got to witness that because when he came out and the crowd just started singing Judas, I was like, oh my God, significant goosebumps, chills, and damn it, I wish I was there. But yeah. the conversation you and I were having, so for the longest time, and when I say a long time, I mean realistically since mid-2000s, Ric Flair has been far and away my favorite wrestler. And when I say far and away, I mean the number two guy's not even close. And it all kind of started spiraling back to Jericho. And I told you this. I think I would put Jericho above Flair now. And it's because of the longevity of his career being at that high of a level. And it sort of started when he came back and teamed up with Kevin Owens. The list of Jericho was pure gold. The drink it in man was pure gold. And now he's obviously one of the big stars of AEW, becoming the first champion, being the the main heel who, of course, has Inner Circle behind him. Um, Jericho is just a pure wrestling genius. And, I mean, the guy's 49 years old, and he's still at a high level and not so much in the ring he can still tell a good story in the ring but obviously he's not doing the same things he was doing 15 years ago he's not doing the lion salt at the same capacity he doesn't do the code breakers finisher is now the judas effect um but as far as in-ring promotion and getting on that microphone and cutting a promo i mean dude he's second to none so Jericho, I think, has elevated himself for me in the same breath as Ric Flair, which, like I said, for the longest time, Ric Flair was that guy for me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You already know Chris Jericho's my favorite guy ever, too. So yeah, um, yeah. It was great being on the cruise with him. Uh, it's amazing how much he—I um, don't want to say distances himself from the list, but it's like with him, it's like it's over and done with. And it's time to move on to the next thing. You know, that's the kind of mentality he has with it. Um, uh, if you ever hear any of his um, podcasts, especially the ones on the cruise. It oh, was, uh, dude.
0: I was actually going to ask you. I think my favorite one he did on the cruise was with Bischoff, uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. I, think I was Booker... in the crowd for that. What's that? I was in the crowd for that. I'm I jealous, dude, because I was <laughs> I, I, got... I was listening I to, day to day that podcast – then... Um, While I was working out at the gym, and dude, most of his podcasts I can't turn away from. One with Darby Allin was really good, but uh, the one kind of talking about NWO with all those old school WCW guys was great. One of my favorite parts of that podcast was Bischoff um, talking about how Sting was originally supposed to be the third guy of NWO until they signed Hogan, and he went into kind of detail about that, which was something that had never really been said publicly and confirmed before. So I thought it was cool that on Talk is Jericho, they they confirmed that Sting was originally supposed to be the third member of NWO, which is dope. And I, it's interesting because you wonder how much that changes the complexion of WCW because Sting is the cover boy of WCW. Yeah. So it's cool and, you know... You getting to witness those podcasts done live um, and then getting to be on the Jericho Cruise. I mean, the first thing you said to me was, dude, if you get the opportunity, you need to take it. And, you know, of course, yeah. that's a little bit more difficult with having a family and stuff like that. But, uh, dude, if I ever can, I am fucking jumping on that
1: tenfold. Yeah, the next one's uh, February 1st through 5th of next year. So um, they're going to start announcing their tickets. They're going back to the Bahamas, but it's a different part of different part of the Bahamas. The last year they've gone to Nassau, but yeah. this uh, they're they're going to a different part. Um, so yeah, standby for that.
0: Now with AEW, so now I guess for you before before we get into a little bit of some of AEW stars, um, are are you still are you? I guess where? What's your team? Are you team AEW or are you team WWE or NXT? Um. Well,
1: it's certainly not WWE. That's <laughs> they're not even in the question. So it's it's a matter of AEW or NXT. Um. My honest answer right now is I'm team Wednesday nights Cause I, watch, <laughs> I watch them. I watch them both back to back. It's Wednesday nights are my favorite nights of the week. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh it's 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 really difficult. I think I think I got to go with AEW. If I'm being perfectly honest, okay. um, uh NXT, like keep in mind, I have a long history of NXT. I've been watching yeah, the for sure. For years. Um, and uh, it's not when when AEW first came out um, last year, it felt it felt like every show every week was like a was like a pay per view. You know what I mean? And they're still putting on like. There's just like a lot of new territory to tread with AEW, you know what I mean? Well, the I... <laughs>
0: storytelling with AEW is second and none. I was telling someone this the other day. The fact that a rivalry between Moxley and Jericho has kept them from touching each other until basically this week is yeah. brilliant. The fact that MJF and Cody not touching each other until Saturday night is brilliant, you know they they are following the old school format of let's build a rivalry without these two getting in the ring at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like a lot of what AEW is doing. I uh, I wish their women's division was a little more. Absolutely,
0: uh, there's much to be desired there.
1: Um, but I think that's going to come with time. I think the biggest issue is like just WWE WWE just snatching up talent and yeah. not and not just holding just holding on to it just. I, I honestly feel like it's to spite the AEW. Oh,
0: it absolutely is. They shelve guys, pay them millions of dollars to sit in the back and do nothing, basically. And That's what's cool about the Jericho podcast is they break the fourth wall on that a lot because Moxley talks about it. Um, And all these guys who sort of jump ship have talked about that. But... You know, with you, you're in the boat of a lot of people and several friends of mine who watch both AEW and NXT. For me, I've just completely cut out WWE. Uh in fact the 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 only reason I got on WWE Network was to watch the Ruthless Aggression documentary, but I'm also using my friend's account. I canceled it. I just yeah. I'm I, I have such sour grapes about WWE that the second AEW announced, I'm like, you know what? Even though NXT is a great product, I'm not even giving WWE the benefit of the doubt anymore. I'm just all in on AEW. So that being said, though, um, I guess before we wrap up here, uh, we have a couple of minutes remaining. But some of my favorites on AEW, you know, I'm about to write... Uh, a W uh, Revolution preview and predict. I'm also sure. gonna do a you know top ten favorites moments as well as stars of A W. But dude, one of my favorites who has busted on the scene and this is gonna be as cliche as it is because it's everybody's favorite. But dude, Darby fucking Allen is unbelievable. I love that guy.
1: Yeah, he's great. He's got a bright future ahead of him.
0: And dude, he's so. Did you listen to the podcast with uh with Darby Allen on it? I did not. So one of the interesting Darby Allin stories that he told to untalk is Jericho was back when he first broke into wrestling. I mean, the dude was working on $30 a week, living out of his van, like had nothing to his name. Uh, you know, he used to – he joined Anytime Fitness, and he joined it strictly to – um use the shower and what he'd do for dinner is he'd cook on his george foreman grill in the bathroom of an anytime fitness and one of the interesting stories is as far as bathroom goes jericho asked him that and this is really gross but he was like what's the craziest place you ever had to use the bathroom he was like i actually took a shit in a pizza box once i was like oh my god yeah but dude it's a it's a grind man but dude him making it big coming from what he has dude it's freaking awesome um I
1: met him on the cruise too I actually had a talk I don't know if you know this but he's a film guy too
0: yeah he talked about a lot of that on his uh oh, on the podcast and that okay. a lot of the films or a lot of the uh vignettes and montages he creates it's him doing the editing and shooting for them yeah
1: yeah uh, so he and I talked on the cruise a little bit. Uh, I I don't know if we talked about film school or anything like that, but he definitely said he wants to get into directing thing. So uh, yeah, uh, sky's the limit for him. Um, I'm really big into the Lucha Bros. Yes. Um, those guys. Jesus Christ,
0: dude, Ray Phoenix is a stud. We were I was talking about that with someone recently too. Um, at what point does Ray Phoenix? elevate himself into the stratosphere as a single star because dude he has it in spades that's uh a couple of weeks ago when he did that hurricane rana off the apron where he basically climbed up the ropes to do it dude that was freaking awesome it's just constant high impact moves from him and it's it's very ray mysterio from wcw-esque
1: yeah for sure um Um, i've been kicking around the idea lately i know I know this will never happen, like, anytime soon, but I think it could be, like, the greatest thing ever. What I want to happen is, like, a wrestling event that is two nights, because it has to be, and it's called World's Finest, and you take talent from every promotion imaginable, and uh, you give them two nights, a two-night show, and you just mix and match.
0: The dream scenario, basically. (laughs)
1: The dream scenario. I'm talking like you pull guys from AEW, WWE, New Japan, uh, whoever Ring of Honor and TNA has. You know, the best of the best on the planet, and then just match them. Like imagine the Young Bucks versus the Usos, or the Usos versus Lucha Bros. If you could, if you could pair Kenny Omega with anyone from WWE right now, who would it be?
0: Anyone from WWE, I would. Ooh.
1: I think Kenny Omega and Seth Rollins. I, that's
0: that's honestly the first name I was kind of gearing towards, and I think that would have to be the case. I think the two of them would put on a freaking stunner of a show.
1: Or either like um, Kenny Omega and AJ versus AJ Styles.
0: Yeah, um, I think
1: he's a, like, losing a step a little bit because he's older. Yeah, but you know the guy can still work, obviously. You know?
0: Right. I think another really good matchup for Seth Rollins would be Will Ospreay. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So, um, But no, man, you, when you start talking dream scenarios, that's the cool thing, man, is with AW, they're letting a lot of their guys still cross-promote, unlike WWE, who wants to, like you said, hoard the talent. Um, yeah, it ain't right. No. But, um, you know, an- another... another guy i want to mention before we wrap up here is orange cassidy who's making his single yeah. debut saturday i'm so excited because Wait, again say what? Say what? what's that what'd you say i said he's making his singles debut saturday for AEW. Oh, again really? yeah he's he's uh so if you didn't watch this week Pac attacked him uh Wait, in the I beginning want- of the show and they announced that he's <laughs> gonna face Pac for his first match
1: Okay, well, that's going to be
0: Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> you talk about throwing into the fire immediately. But... I
1: uh, I am intrigued. I'm like, yes. What's Cassidy's style?
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, dude. But Orange Cassidy. Has he ever wrestled? What's that?
1: Has he ever wrestled? Is there like footage of him actually in a ring wrestling?
0: Like that? Yeah, yeah, one-on-one. It's going to be his debut, which, again, that's what I've kind of – talked about with AEW is the slow build. That's what they've done with Orange Cassidy by basically teasing him with the Boots of Doom and then he's never able to finish the move. He gets thrown out the ring and because he's the king of sloth style, he's just got this appeal to him like no other right now. So, people are going to go ape shit seeing him in the ring for the first time competing. Um, you know, he's competed in, you know, the 6v6 matches. I mean, the 3v3 uh, matches with best friends, um, but yeah. they they use him sparingly. I mean, he's definitely not the main uh, catalyst for those matches, so they've done a good job just kind of slowly building that up. Um, and then another guy that I really like right now, um, and I think it's it's because of how just out there and funny it is, is Hangman Adam Page, who oh, yeah. was – You know, for all intents and purposes, people were kind of bored by him, so they repackaged him a little, put him with Kenny Omega, and now he's just this bumbling alcoholic who has anger issues because of the alcoholism, and I think it's hilarious. Um, And I think you'll appreciate this being a film guy, but I assume you read the the lower thirds and the facts of the wrestlers as they come out, and you've noticed uh, Hangman's most weeks, correct? Yeah. So this week, they did a sit-down with Omega, Hangman, and the Young Bucks who were facing each other for the titles. And uh, his lower third said, for the love of God, at least just give me a frame for my lower third. And they literally (laughs) gave him a frame. I had to pause it and basically go back and read it because I didn't have time to read it. For those of you who don't do any film editing – it's, it's a, basically a millisecond of of time on camera. So uh, they literally gave him a frame after his lower third asked for it. So I thought that was just hilarity in and of itself.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I've noticed they've been doing uh, little stuff like that with his lower third when he inches the ring for a while now. it's pretty good. Yeah, it's... Stuff.
0: It's just those little intricate things from the presentation and then the storytelling, obviously, that's just made AEW, you know, so so refreshing and so different and kind of gives it that old 90s, early 2000s feel that people like you and I grew up with. Um, and, of course, a large part of it is is Cody, who we have to mention before wrapping up. Um, you know, dude, he's, he's become one of my favorite... I guess business oriented people in the industry because he sort of created this um on a on a challenge from Dave Meltzer. You know, the AEW started when Dave Meltzer basically challenged him to host an independent pay-per-view see what he could do with it and people were behind it and now it's created what's looking like to be a mainstay on television. You know, they just got renewed with TNT for 3 more years. So yeah. Dude, it's it's incredible what's happening with AEW and I can't turn away from it for the first time in you know a decade. I can go I can look forward to Wednesday nights and sitting through an entire show and not fast-forwarding and I love that because I I say this all the time. There is no better industry when it's at its peak than professional wrestling. Literally none does it for me like professional wrestling. So what? Seeing a W be able to reach that peak again, dude. I hope they can keep that momentum because it's fucking awesome.
1: Uh, yeah. There was. I mean, there was another thing. Oh, uh, uh, there was something else I was gonna say, but now nah, I can't remember what it was. But uh, another time then, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> you. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's a uh, pretty lit, bro.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm excited moving forward. But with that being said, um, Ricky, as always, man, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Good luck with the film festivals. And, um, dude, it was a hell of a lot of fun talking to you, recanting some of those experiences that you've had with wrestling and filmmaking, and, dude, best of luck. I
1: feel like there's a lot of ground we still didn't cover, so we'll have to do this again.
0: Oh, without a doubt. I, I I literally tell every single guest. It's only a matter of time before I have you back on, just because you can cover so much in one hour, and then there's still so much left to be desired, but uh, dude, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, for those who want to follow him, that's Ricky Nix, last name spelled N-I-X-X, follow his website, Defiant Giants, Um, really great content, really in detail as far as uh, movies go, and then... Of course, he'll he'll touch on some professional wrestling every now and again. But, Ricky, appreciate you coming on, man. And as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at HotardHuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at HotardHuddle.